We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Towards another mushroom cloud 
Today is Saturday, October 3rd, 2015, and battling blackouts and faulty internet connections, welcome to the Truth Perspective, everyone. I'm your host, Elon Martin, and with me in the studio today are SOT.net editors Shane Lachance, Carolyn McCallum, and William Barbet. It's been a very, very busy and interesting week for editors of SOT.net, keeping abreast of a lot of news, which is what brings us to the theme of today's show, Russia's battle for humanity in Syria. After nearly four years of Syria being attacked by U.S., Saudi, and Israeli proxy terror forces, and creating one of the worst humanitarian crises in decades. Russia and its allies have stepped in and announced to the world that it will be addressing the problem head-on. Russia's proactive stance has left much of the Western powers reeling and the people of Syria cheering. What we're seeing right now has already had the effect of profoundly changing the geopolitical landscape and setting the world on a new course of awareness of the real problems we are seeing and which we're watching unfold in real time. An incredibly important topic that is just sprawling. So we're going to take things as much as possible piece by piece here today in order that we can see the situation in its fullest. And like I said a little earlier, we are experiencing technical difficulties in the form of a blackout and lousy internet connections. So, On that note, we're going to see if we can get some of our other hosts to call in uh, since our operating um, standards have been compromised by our electrical combination. Right now, folks, we're going to go to start the show with a little bit of the history of the past few years in Syria. Before we get into uh, Putin and Obama's recent speeches at the UN, their informal meeting there and the actions of Russia and what's been happening over the past few weeks, we thought we'd start looking at the origins of what we're seeing in Syria today. What's led to the refugee crisis, the destruction of Syria's infrastructure, the demonization of Bashar al-Assad, and the full-blown gates of hell opening up with the introduction of ISIS to Syria. In 2011, on the heels of the Arab Spring, 
there began something of a so-called Syrian revolution. We know that there were relatively small numbers of Syrian citizens who were pro- protesting Assad's government and calling for reforms like other Arab and North African countries were doing at the time. At the same time, and what the Western press wasn't reporting on, was that there were even larger groups of pro-government and pro-Assad protesters who didn't agree with this first group and what they were saying, and who were acknowledging that for whatever problems there were in Syria, most of its citizens were provided for, the standard of living was fairly good, and the Syrian government was largely secular and therefore tolerant of its different faiths and sects. But soon after the protests began, there were stories of atrocities being committed against anti-government, anti-Assad who were attributed to Assad's forces. Whoever was responsible for the horrible acts against these protesters, the Western media picked them up and ramped up a full-scale demonization campaign against Assad. In the two years that followed, even worse stories came out about Assad gassing and killing his own people and were spread by the Western media. So the government of Bashar al-Assad denied having any part, and there was no proof of the allegations. The story stuck, and soon after that, Obama began to say that there was a red line that Assad was approaching, and if it continued, then the U.S. would have to go in and take out the government. So that brings us roughly to August and September of 2013, and some really interesting things happened next. But before we go there, William, you had a little bit of background on Syria that uh, that rounds out this this explanation. Yeah, sure. We have a, a interesting uh, date on when uh, Bashar al-Assad was born. It was on September 11, 1965. Um, he was the third child of Hafez um, al-Assad, who was a Syrian military officer and member of the Ba'ath Party. Um, Bashar, he uh, received his early education in Damascus, but then went on and studied medicine and then uh, graduated as an ophthalmologist. And then he decided to go to London and, and do a residency in ophthalmology. His older brother, he was the one being groomed to be the successor for Hapa. But he died in 1994 from a car accident in his, in his Mercedes-Benz. So immediately after, um, Bashar was called back to uh, Syria because now he's next in line and has to get a crash course. So he trained at a military academy and eventually gained the rank of colonel and the League Republican Guard. So this was to help engineer a positive public image of Bashar, who until then lived out of the public eye. And then Bashar was placed at the head of popular anti-corruption campaign that resulted in the removal of several officials that ignored the dealings of senior members of the regime. His image as a modern, as a modernizer, was furnished by his appointment as chairman of the Syrian Computer Society. Now Hafez died on June 10th of 2000, and hours before his death, the national legislature approved a constitutional amendment lowering the minimum age for the president from 40 to 34, which was Bashar's age at that time. And on June 18th, Assad was appointed secretary general of the ruling Ba'ath Party. 
and two days later, the party Congress nominated him as the candidate for presidency. Now, this is a all pretty sudden uh, turn of events for Bashar, so he was pretty much uh, a reluctant uh, president. Tained his father's hardline stance, and uh, the decades-long conflict with Israel continuing to demand the return of the Golan Heights and giving support to Palestinian and Lebanese military groups. And relations worsened with the United States after Assad announced that the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq in 2003, or he denounced it. Nationalistic and anti-Western rhetoric soon became a standard part of Assad's speeches. <clears throat> In fact, the U.S. was so angry that Bush even hinted that Syria was next. <clears throat> Syria had to deal with millions of Iraqi refugees during that time of the Iraq war. And it was already straining to take care of its own population. Then in 2007, a devastating drought hit the country that lasted three years, which economy, and this, of course, sets the country up for unrest. So here you have a little bit of the history. And uh, in 2006, Syria decided to switch all its state foreign currency transactions to euros from dollars. And, of course, that didn't make make him uh, any friends to the West for doing something like that. And then uh, Assad's decision to align Syria with its historic allies in the region, primarily Iran, Lebanon, and Russia, and refuse any cooperation from the West's war on terror for Israel's slow genocide against Palestinians. 2007, Assad was reelected by a nearly unanimous majority to a second term as president, and but the critics were uh, and his opponents considered it a sham. Uh, Assad took some tentative steps toward ending the country's international isolation, seeking to mend relationships with regional powers, including Saudi Arabia and Turkey. Um, and then, of course, in 2011, Assad faced some significant challenge to his rule, and anti-government protests broke out in Syria, inspired by a wave of pro-democracy uprisings in the Middle East and North Africa of you know, the Arab Spring. We know who ran. We know who ran those. The uh... They are definitely uh, NGO-inspired, and that is almost uh, certainly a result of CIA and uh, nefarious sorts of things. They uh, they were very effective, and, and uh, because it was a new paradigm, uh, the whole Arab string, Spring caught everybody kind of flat-footed, and it seemed to work for a while, and then they were able to make some very, very nefarious charges stick. Well, you know, this uh, this kind of reminds me quite a bit of the situation in Libya. I mean, you had Muammar Gaddafi uh, basically providing uh, socialized medicine, social services, um, secular government, um, basically a stable, you know, all things considered uh, country, and um, not playing ball with Western powers, uh, deciding to back uh, his country and uh, his country's currency, gold, um, but still trying to maintain a good relationship or as good a relationship as is possible, and um, and so this, you know we're seeing a pattern here uh, of 
countries in the Middle East who have all of these resources available to them uh, who are subject to all of this covert aggression. And um, fortunately, folks, uh, just to note, we've got our power back. We've got our Internet connection back. So we're looking for a, a slightly smoother show from here on in. And thanks for bearing with us. Okay. Uh, can everybody, can the chatters? Are we, okay. Are we back online? I think we are back. All right. Nice <laughs> try, powers that be. <laughs> Sorry nice about that. Try. Nice try. Little, little bumpy road. We're uh, we're experiencing some of the remnants of uh, the hurricane coming up the eastern coast of the United States. Um, but yeah, it's been pouring buckets for three days now. <laughs> Okay. But we're here. We are here. Okay. So So just to sum things up a little bit, um we have Syria, the uh this country located in the Middle East, just north of Israel, south of Turkey. Um it's got a coastline, it's got uh natural resources, it's got a relatively stable government and a happy people. It's got a reluctant a leader who's a knowledgeist who didn't have a will to power, didn't start war with its neighbors. Um, he promoted uh, both a secular lifestyle and this idea of religious tolerance. He, he made that a cornerstone of his government that all the faiths uh, you know, were welcome, were valued, and were brothers, each in their various professions. That's the thing that you see time and time in, in these countries that you know are just destroyed by states is the, these very modern, uh, productive uh, civilizations, and the U.S. goes and brings in you know this um, this element that you know just uh, tears that people tears the civilization down. You know it, it's 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 reduction of this. Um, you know, it's all coming from uh, the United States. Not the half of Israel. The all of these very, very strong areas of the tribal fault lines, and even the other stick is a bunch of little states at each other's throats. I mean, class and that could remain, you know, the low dog, you know. So just anybody has a stake in it and the inside. I did want to get the one of the historical history of which was in 2013. I think it was August 21st when uh, the... So killed several hundred people and if you listen to Paul the Amber and keeping up into the fact I you know, we heard last year or say thousand and uh been uh revived walking point uh I said was uh, who is their course and you know it all 
on this lie that Assad was responsible for this case. Or Melissa Hirsch came out with this. This is also piece where you know it basically came out a series. One of them, uh, the obstruction, had the information intelligence that that both that was, and it was from um, uh, Assad's you know, the Syrian army didn't have that type of gas uh, that that you know, specific gas strainer um, that specific type. So, you know that that was that was all out in the open. Um, you know, the Western media really went nuts uh, trying to um, just bring down the credibility of Hirsch, which is you know, pretty ridiculous given his reputation. Mm-hmm. And uh, other piece, the other really important piece that he covered was uh, Turkey's involvement. And so, you know, behind uh, this was going back until uh, 2012, and even the New York Times uh, covered uh, stories where in that the CIA was um, working with Turkey to train, you know, these rebels uh, in quotes uh, to um, to basically provide a force to track out Assad. Well, this is another coinciding for myself, but also it happens to help out other people because Turkey, um, the, this whole Kurdish problem in this mm. country that borders into Syria and the Kurds would like nothing better than to see their own state carved out of chunks of Turkey and Syria. I could see, I'm, I'm not sure what Assad's position on this is, but I could see him saying, okay, I can give you autonomous re- but Turkey don't want to give up inch of land, definitely wanted so mm-hmm. it, so was probably one of the main catalysts for him to throw his lot in with the West as opposed to all of these buddies they had had early on. Mm-hmm. You know, because they were good for him, and then all of a sudden he just, he just turned. Well, one of the, the um, organizations that's been known to it was uh, Al Nusra Front, and you know, that's, that's one of the three uh, major. Uh, terror organizations operating operating in Syria, although there are uh, others as well. Uh, but Al Nusra is interesting because just the the relationship it has uh, with you know these um, known organizations that has funded and supported, and that, you know, and then they basically usurp. You know, it's it's like a transfer. Uh, compare it to uh, American baseball. They, they have all these players, and they're traded, and they go from team to team. And you know that that's basically the teams you know, what we see. Themselves. Yeah, yeah, over and over. I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous. All these names that, that, that they just you know, keep uh, uh, morphing. Mm. Um, but Shane, I, I, you started to bring up uh, the events of uh, 2013 mm-hmm. in particular, um, that August and September. Uh, with the uh, sarin gas um, killings of the um, of the innocents in Syria that that was attributed to the government of Bashar al-Assad, 
and um you know some some very interesting things happened at that time that uh that seemed to foreshadow a lot of the events that we'll be talking about later on today in the show um so uh at one point uh secretary of Sankey, uh, um said what about uh, uh well what should we do and uh if if of of Syria should agree to a um to of Kemen B. We don't have to bomb them. We don't quite have to cause another uh Libya. And he said this rhetorically. He, he oh, okay, yeah. it was okay. it was it was totally a spur of the moment thing where, you know, this reporter posed this question, you know, is there anything that we can do to prevent this? And <laughs> And John Kerry, you know, put out that that that, uh, that well, you know, Assad could do this, but we know he won't. So you know, it's it's very unlikely. We won't see that. And Putin, the tactician, <laughs> leaped on it. Exactly. <laughs> and so what happens? Putin Putin says, okay, sure. If 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 Assad is willing to do this, you know, will you be willing to step down? You know, your your rhetoric and your attack of you know potential attack of Syria. Which at the time Obama was going on about with his, you know, Syria was crossing a red line. Uh, his 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 humanitarian uh, stance for for dictatorships or against dictatorships in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and um, and like you were saying, John uh, Dolo, of course, said, "Sure, I'll, I can do that." I looked uh, myself to weapons inspections and completely disarming. Let's let's strike a deal. So uh, basically, uh, in order to save a certain amount of face, uh, the U.S. administration ha- kind of had to go along with it, and so they did. And following month was the on call, and, and Assad gave up his weapons, and they were taken by one of these Scandinavian countries. Well, it all really unfolded very quickly. Uh, the day, I know the day of uh, that press conference that Kerry was in, um, Lavrov, he jumped on that, you know, got on got on the phone with uh, Syria and, and uh, made a statement to the New York Times that, hey, we we have an agreement, you know, and it was very very quick. That's the way the Russians do things. Yeah, they just they just wait and wait and wait, and then all of a sudden they just blindside you. And well, if you make stupid stupid comments, you can expect it. Well, this is the interesting thing that you know, Alon, you were saying how uh, you know, this, this this event kind of foreshadowed, you know, what we're seeing kind of now. And I totally agree. That was um, uh, just this masterful. Um, Move because they're taking the lie that the United States has you know put out into the public, which says that you know we fight terrorism, uh, we're rational, and you know all all these bogus things. We have and your best interests. So they they you know they made this statement where hey you know uh, we're 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 in a few states we should we should take you know the chemical weapons away from away from uh, Assad and and they're in agreement so you know if there wasn't really anything that they could uh that they could do about it well this, you could also say um that this was Putin's first very large step back onto the world stage but he'd been prepping Russia since his ascent to power 
for exactly this role. I mean, he, he built up his country first. He got things settled down there. He got it organized back on track. Not perfectly, but enough. But this was his first high, we're back mm-hmm. moment. There are a few other things about this whole uh, event that happened that, that are extremely interesting to look at. Uh, one is, you know, it's obvious that Fassad was this belligerent kind of reckless, aggressive guy who who was killing his own people and, and had this kind of arrogant, psychopathic bloodlust in the way that the Western media was portraying it. How likely would he have been to, to give up all of his chemical weapons? Mm-hmm. He probably would have, you know, flipped them the bird and said, come and get me or, or something to that effect. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not what he did. Um, and uh, probably under Putin's counsel uh, and his own he decided, what does he really need his chemical weapons for? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that, that was interesting about all this is that um, uh, Russia did have one of its naval vessels off the coast of Syria. Right. So a quiet message. That there were no threats made to the U.S. Who, that was about to, uh, literally just about to attack uh, the government of Assad in the name of uh, humanitarianism. Um, it was just Look, we're here, and uh, we're not going to allow this to happen. This is this is our own red line, and uh, and now that you've made the blunder of an opening, like you were saying, Carolyn, mm-hmm. uh, this opportunity to uh, de-escalate the situation, uh, you're damn well sure that we're going to take it, and so is Syria, and uh, and for God's sakes, it's the most reasonable thing to do, and we don't really need another war in the Middle East. We don't need another Afghanistan, another uh, Libya, an Iraq. Uh, there's no reason for it. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, Bashar had to have confidence in speaking with Putin and understanding what the situation was, was and to go ahead and go through with this. Now, both of those gentlemen reached the presidency at the same year, and they pretty much faced the similar conditions in their country. Mm-hmm. They're, they're pretty much a mess. <laughs> but Putin, you know, did all he could do to get his country back to a, a stable state where Assad was continually struggling to get that. So being longtime partners ever since the you know, USSR 70s, uh, it, I can see why Bashar would take Putin under counsel and agree immediately to do you know, what he suggested to do. Well, I think reasonable men will recognize each other. People who are grounded in reality recognize each other, and they're willing to take counsel from each other. And they both had uh, a number of years to observe what the U.S. was doing and saying mm-hmm. and coming to the realization that uh, anything that the U.S. says, uh, basically you can, you can take it uh, to the bank that it, it's the opposite. Uh, that they're lying and that uh, any agreements that they make are, are short-lived and uh, designed to kind of fulfill an agenda somewhere down the road. And in 2011, the disaster in Libya, I'm sure, you know, really drove that home. Mm-hmm. Uh, for I know for Putin, he, he said that uh, explicitly that, you know, that was kind of the major wake-up call you know, to see what the United States actually was which was just a destroyer of civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that was a little uh, interesting background, and you know, I think it all plays a part in you know, what we're seeing 
fold out today, and particularly in you know in how um, you know Russia is they're they're basically communicating to the world through through actions and through behavior, and that's such a contrast to uh, just the the hollow words of you know, the United States. And it's it's it presents this just this tremendous lesson I think for really all the world uh, to you know recognize um, just the lie, the corruption, and the immense destruction and suffering that's brought to the world you know from the West. And so that that opportunity is there, and you know it's just been really um, <laughs> exciting I guess to see that you know there's this driving force uh on the world stage right now that isn't just you know isn't propelled by by lies and propaganda greed and greed um there's there's this you know actual force for that's working for humanity um and and then and, and I would say right now at this moment too it is you know, the prominent force the uh, things that are coming out of Washington, you know, it's all it's all very reactionary, and it's all, um, you know, they're they're just like sidestepping, and they don't know what to do, and and just saying the most ridiculous stuff possible, mm-hmm. and you know, that's that's kind of nice to see. Um, it's very satisfying. Very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, Russia is finally pulling the curtain behind the, you know, the man that's been operating behind there. It's like, hey, this is for all the world to see. You can't miss this. Well, you know, from from that time in 2013, uh, when the U.S. stood down on its attack of Assad, um, there's been a tremendous amount of of damage inflicted on the country in the form of um, bombings on its infrastructure, you know, once the U.S. went in there and decided that it was going to battle uh, ISIS, um, you know, you had reports of uh, American, you know, Air Force pilots saying that uh, I was, you know, in Iraq, I was forced to stand down when I had ISIS uh, groups in my sights. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have um, the uh, the dropping of supplies uh, that are accidentally get into the hands of, of ISIS as opposed to the Iraqi military. I think you mean ex, uh, quotation marks around oh, yeah. accidentally? Yeah. yeah. Darn, that state just can't get it right, could they? You have uh, collateral damage in Syria in the form of, of, of innocent people getting killed by U.S. bombs that are ostensibly targeting ISIS as well. And a very systematic destruction of the infrastructure. They would hit farm, would hit electrical, they would hit water supplies. They would, it just, it was... It was absurd to hear about it. Nothing. Nobody was ever saying yes. And uh, um, a power plant was accidentally bombed in the U.S. I mean, that just never happened. So how would you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you also did that somehow, uh, whenever Israel attacked some Syrian uh, military base in the past couple of years, it, it would seem to coincide with uh, strategic maneuvers of ISIS. Uh, um, and Qaeda and that are involved there. That, that shot of Yahoo yeah, soldiers who are being in Israeli hospitals. I mean, like, like that is just on. But there, I mean, it was all over Twitter. And not to mention the fact that uh, you would think they will the master, you know, uh, uh, Western nation and the least were first targets 
mm-hmm. of, um, of of a group like ISIS, uh, because of Islamists uh, hate Israel and and want jihad on Israel. We've never seen it. Up. So that kind of rounds out picture. Still, uh, um, it looks like we have a caller. So we're going to take that call and call on the air. What's your name? Where are you coming from? Yes, uh, this is this is Jonathan, Tampa Bay area. Hi, Jonathan. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, do, I'm doing very well. And um, yeah, I, I, I concur with y'all's uh, sentiments about the uh, situation with uh, Putin. And um, I've been watching the whole thing, like, just totally enthralled from the uh, – the UN appearances of Obama and Putin, and then the uh, decisive action and very quick action, the United States uh, um, off guard, and then the uh, the stumbling and the clumsiness of the comments, you know, across the uh, news media. And um, I checked out this uh, this the Intercept with uh, some some of Gr- Glenn Greenwald's commentary, and. Um, I thought it was interesting that Glenn Greenwald characterized uh, Russia's action as imperialistic. Hmm. Um, I don't yeah, know I if you guys followed that. that from... But um, it was I imperialistic. Seen, uh, Glenn Greenwald's comments on there, but um, yeah, it is. For um, but uh, he he is, is kind of has one in you know some uh, some big you know. Uh, Western media and those bridges. Yeah. yeah and, um, you know, Glenn Greenwald, certainly a hypocrite, uh, big time hypocrite. He has some, he has some cogent commentary at times, but then he will, uh, he, he plays a game, a strategic game to keep himself within the graces of the U S uh, commentary at the intelligentsia, the establishment here. And um, he downplays some stuff, and then he'll use that term imperialistic that totally follows within the United States uh, narrative. And the other thing I think is uh, very, very fascinating is that um, this particular instance with uh, Russia, with Ukraine, Putin, and then now, you know the situation in Syria, it really brings to the forefront um, to me that um, the left, the so-called progressive left, and the establishment corporate right are really very, very close when it comes to, like, a situation with Assad in Syria. And um, it's really bad. It's it's really clumsy. And um, it's very hard to find intelligent commentary on it. Like, for example, I'll just give you an example with uh, Assad. Um, I haven't followed it closely, but you know, if you everything that you read is like he's a butcher, he's a, okay. But what I've learned to do is like ask myself one, one, just one question: Is what they're characterizing this guy to be is it true? And that means right. I have to, I have to dig deep, and I have to find views of people that live in Syria that support um, Assad's government. And then I have to weigh those, but see, people don't even do that. And I find it that's the that's a really scary and interesting thing about our culture is people that consider themselves critical thinkers, they don't even do that. So they'll just parrot the propaganda 
And um, just one last thing, and I'm going to let you go. Um, I had, you know, I used to, you know, be a leftist for a long time. And in the early 2000s, I remember I used to read The Nation, Z-Mag, you know, all this. I, I considered myself informed. You know, I read a lot of Chomsky. So I formed an opinion about Putin. So I'm in South Beach, Miami, and I happened to meet a woman, older woman, um, you know, and and she goes, I said, you're from Russia? She goes, yeah. And I said, wow, what what about that Putin? And she goes, I love Putin. And I'm like, yeah, Putin bad, right? And and then when you really think about it, like, where did I get all of my opinions and ideas to come to this conclusion about Putin? No, Mm -hmm. I didn't do I didn't do my the necessary investigation to see the nuances in it. I'm reading these so-called intellectuals, and and they and they are just parroting a bunch of BS that's really not built on um, cogent foundation. And uh, that and reflecting on that, that teaches me a lot about myself. I have a propensity to listen to the quote unquote experts and come up with a stupid opinion. And I can I can class, think of myself as critical thinker and you know, but it, it's not if you don't do due diligence and really mm-hmm. investigate stuff. And the more I investigated Putin, I'm an admirer of the man. I don't I don't hedge it. I mean, he's not perfect. He's a human being, but compared with every other major world leader, he's he's the the best that my time has produced. So anyway, well, with that. With that, I, I enjoy I enjoy your show, and I look forward to listening to the rest of your show. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for the call. Just, just a couple of points that Jonathan made that I think are, are worthy of addressing. Um, as far as this kind of whole, you know, liberal prism, uh, you know, glasses viewpoint perspective that gets foisted upon people in the U.S., you know, you have people like Samantha Power who writes this book. Uh, she's a, the U.N. delegate. Uh, U.S. U.N. delegate and um, one of the most vociferous uh, speakers against Russia um, in the U.N. And, uh, you know, she writes this book about, uh, you know, America's role in, in um, genocide in, in Africa and Rwanda. And she's, you know, she's got this flowing red hair and this accent and this this demeanor that completely belies the the kind of aggressive uh, imperial um, imperialistic goals of the U.S. Uh, but but she but she has this whole kind of conscience um, like I have conscience. I mean that that's what that's her her shtick her shtick <laughs> and it, and it works among probably a large percentage of uh, these lines. Uh, Jonathan mentioned Noam Chomsky, um, who quite often gets, totally gets it wrong. After 9/11, you know, he came out with this book, and it was basically heaven was the result of um, of uh, not rollback, but um, there's another term that that describes how other countries um, respond to U.S. Uh, uh, blowback. Blowback. There we go. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but it had nothing to do whatsoever with with how the story itself. Uh, makes no sense. How the narrative that was, uh, you know, foisted upon people didn't hold up when you looked at the facts. It was just about how 
all of these other nations were finally getting so upset with the U.S. that they felt compelled to blow up. And that, that actually makes sense on a deeper level. I think that the actual perpetrators of 9-11 who had a whole set of goals in place were counting on that concept taking hold. This is, you know, at least with a certain part of the intelligentsia, if you will, that this is blowback um, but for, you know, and they can wring their hands about that, but for the majority We've got to go back and do worse to them from happening. Oh, one of the other interesting points that people generally don't really dig into um, history or you know a, a particular narrative that the United States espouses, and and we know that's true. Um, and I think you know the dynamic. Um, uh, I'm sure you know Putin is familiar with with this uh, this general trend, and it's interesting because you know what he's doing now um, can challenge those things in real time. So you know he's taking this narrative that the United States is a fighter of terrorism and is bringing it up to the and, and and really saying sure we're showing world that that's not the case yeah they invited it out let's work to let's have this information mm-hmm. center and you know hey we're with you we want to fight these guys they're a problem for you they're a problem for us and the u.s has shuffled and looked embarrassed and and has not actually said great idea mm-hmm. you know and so putin can say well here we tried. We invited them. We're doing it. This is the same goal. Well, and, and, I, and even Europe is stepping on its own foot. I mean, here they have a, a huge immigration crisis from all terrorism, and yet they're backing up the U.S. on this. And actually, Russia is going to help, you know, bring people back to their home countries once they get rid of the terrorists. Crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> so, so let's back things up a little bit, because uh, what what we're really talking about here are some recent developments. Um, in uh, Russia's uh, helping to build a Erkan Latakia, if I that correctly, means um, bringing. Um, well, it had always been there, right? Like a small outpost there, but they. Mm-hmm. It's it's it have been a surprise. They started a month before end speech. All of a sudden, there were like little little bits in the news about you know Russians. Bringing in a few planes, they bought in some stuff. Then there were satellite photos. Oh my goodness, they're building barracks. They're bringing supplies. And and did you know? Absolutely beautiful. Those satellite photos were. They were so clear. They were so easy to see. You know, you kind of wonder. No, well, that that buildup was. You know, it was pretty. It, there was a lot going on even then. Mm-hmm. And you know, today it's just like the news is coming out story after story, and it's just oh so rapid fire. But you know, even a few weeks ago, when uh, Russia did say, "Okay, yes, we are, you know, helping Syria. We're giving them military aid. We're giving them humanitarian aid." Just in that week alone, um, when it was just the Syrian army uh, attacking, you know, the um, these terrorist forces, they were making some big progress even then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, you could see organizations like Al Nusra just, uh, you know, just really lash out they they killed you know about 60 syrian uh hostage uh their military uh officers that they had taken hostage from an uh, airbase that they had uh, overtaken and 
Um, and they just, you know, they, they, they had them as hostages and, you know, they just slaughtered them as a massacre. And, uh, you know, that's the type of response that you see when you have, um, you know, uh, an entity that's just lashing out. Mm-hmm. You know, they know that their days are numbered pretty that's much. That's right. Um, so, I'm sorry, Elon, I think you were... You... Well, actually, that was, um, yeah, I mean, that that's clearly the... You know those recent uh, events kind of have led up to what we're what we've been witness to in uh, Putin's uh, speech at the UN this past Monday, uh, which have kind of put an incredible, um, a profound. I mean, this is history we're watching here. Uh, a punctuation mark on uh, on the Russian uh, intent to uh, prevent this from going any further. Um, so it was quite an incredible, uh, speech on the part of Putin. Um, everyone had been looking forward to it for the past month or two, knew he was going to speak out, thought he would be talking more about the subject of Ukraine. Um, but really just called out the West in all the ways that we've been hearing him in all the conferences the Valdai conference and, mm-hmm. and, and some of the other conferences that, that he's been attending in Russia and, and Eastern Europe for the past, uh, Five or eight years. There's some wonderful YouTube videos on on uh, the Valley conferences. There's one from 2011 where he basically laid it all out right then. I mean, the fact that the Pentagon and the U.S. in general just got caught so flat-footed. It, you you ask and you it's like, well, it's funny because when you watch video, it's like it could have been from yesterday. Yes. You know, it's it's like it's such a consistent message. Exactly. And and just these same, it's like these same forces are, are replaying over and over and over again. And yeah, and Russia does have the same message that it's been putting out. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting about the uh, his UN speech is, you know, he used it as a means of. Um, are we having some sound? I think I'm. No, I think it's your mic. Um, kind of fading out. Can can you hear us? Okay. Well, we'll continue for a little while. See if it fixes itself. Sometimes it does. Um. So, you know, it seemed that Putin was using um, his UN speech as a means of kind of you know launching uh, his further uh, plans and uh, strategies, and it was all based around international law. You know, that's his thing, international law. We're doing things legally. The United States is not. You know, everything is in accordance with uh, the United Nations. We have agreement with Syria. We have permission from Syria. The United States doesn't and hasn't, and everything that they're doing is illegal, which is so bizarre um, when... um, Let me see... All right, I think we're getting some choppiness again. It's, um, yeah, here, let me. Sorry about that, folks. Um, So, yeah, it was so bizarre. I'm just listening to the contrast between Obama and Putin. when you when you hear Putin's speech or uh, Obama's speech, it's like he's talking uh, about the United States as far as uh, you know these 
these uh, stronger nations imposing their will on weaker ones. Oh, gee, you think? And, uh, I, <laughs> Who yeah. could he mean? <laughs> so I actually, we have a clip from, from that. Uh, I think we're, we're ready to play that. All right, let's go ahead and listen to Obama. The belief that power is a zero-sum game, that might makes right. <clears throat> Strong states must impose their will on weaker ones. That the rights of individuals don't matter. And that in a time of rapid change, order must be imposed by force. On this basis, we see some major powers assert themselves in ways that contravene international law. We see an erosion of the democratic principles and human rights that are fundamental to this institution's mission. Information is strictly controlled, the space for civil society restricted. We're told that such retrenchment is required to beat back disorder, that it's the only way to stamp out terrorism or prevent now I, I just have to I just have to say if if I were sitting there uh during that speech, I don't know if I would have had the self control to remain quiet and not like get up and, and scream at the guy. Uh because uh the the big lies uh that he is uh using in his rhetoric to paint this uh picture of, of a undemocratic, imperialistic, aggressive Russia when in fact you know, it's it's been the U.S. obviously that's been behaving this way for so long. Uh, it's outrageous. Um, and another thing, I, I you know, I had a realization this week, looking at some of the pictures of of Obama and listening to him and and observing him and his interaction with Putin, and that is the guy is so arrogant. He's so, you know, it, it takes a very special kind of egomaniac. Uh, who's who's allowed himself to become subject to, uh, you know, and, and, and puppeteered by uh, the Western elite to to make the lies and 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 have the have the uh, the gall to stand up and and say the things that that he has. Um, well, you know what they say: it takes one to know one. Well, thanks, William. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know those don't that those didn't come out of his head. Those are speeches. I mean, they're written, and uh, his job is to stand up and deliver them, however lamely but he, can he deliver, does. He can deliver them so clearly because he knows exactly that's what they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure I'm sure he's told, you know, what to say, how to say it, what his uh, mood is, and, you know, nothing comes from actually Obama. Well, we do have a little more of that clip so maybe we'll just continue, you know, even if we don't really want to. No, we came to the end of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was pretty much it. All right. Mm-hmm. That was enough. <laughs> we get the point. Well, um, you know, in in kind of counterbalance to that speech that Obama had given on Monday, just uh, a breath of fresh air. Uh, you know, a, a, a few moments of sincerity and kind of authentic uh, speech on the part of Putin um, 
he said a few very interesting things that were true. Um, among them, he said that we should all remember the lessons of the past. For example, we remember examples from our Soviet past when the Soviet Union exported social experiments, pushing for changes in other countries for ideological reasons, often led to tragic consequences and causation instead of progress. So here he is. It's, look, we screwed up. This is our nation uh, was really up. And we tried to our ideology on other countries, and and it was our. But now we're trying to do better. And it does take a certain kind of, you know, sincere humility to to go ahead and say that on stage. It's like, yeah, we 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 did bad, and we recognize it. And now we know that that is just a model that is not going to work. We're trying something new. That's that's unheard of. Well, on the other hand, too, you know, you have um, you have so many people, uh, especially from you know, in the Western media, who are making these parallels between the Soviet Union and Russia. When you know, don't they realize that they're different countries? It's baffling to uh, over and over and over again. Russia. As uh, Russia's invasion in Afghanistan, you know it's it's the same it's the same type maneuvers and it's just BS. I mean, it's not it's not grounded in any type of reality. Um, yeah, I mean, near the same situation, not at all. Not at all. And in fact, you know, if you want to go back to those beautiful satellites, there's no of ground troops there at all. And he has said right up front that there will be no ground troops. This is a and still wrap it up even past that. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he say a few other things. Thing I think um, it seems, however, that instead of learning from other people's mistakes, some prefer to repeat them and continue to export revolutions. Only now these are democratic revolutions, quote unquote. Just look at the situation in the Middle East and Africa, already mentioned by the previous speaker. Of course, political and social problems have been piling up for a long time in that in this region, and people there want to change. But what was the actual outcome? Instead of bringing about problems, the intervention rashly destroyed government institutions and the local way of life. Instead of democracy in us, there is now violent poverty, social disasters, and total disregard for human rights, including even the right to life. The situation. Do you know what you've done? But I'm afraid the question will remain on because they have never abandoned their policy, which is on arrogance, exceptionalism. And uh, if anyone has ever given the U.S. a, a sound thrashing uh, over, um, and rightfully so, I mean, this this is it. Mm-hmm. Right, but a psychopath take that. You know, they go ahead. What are you talking about? Well, it was it was interesting too uh, to see how uh, there were some articles in uh, Western mainstream media that did you know acknowledge uh, the the strength and and you know the the powerful um, message 
Putin had, and you know, pretty much that Obama just paled. That was a hot. Well, those particular quotes, you know, we we didn't saw Peter Cross and uh, you know the world Putin up to every many uh, hundreds of millions of people uh, wanting to hear what he has to say, and him coming out names, and everybody out uh, France. Australia, you know, Canada, the allies of the U.S. being forced to listen. It's like, yes, this is it right here, the truth. This is what me, even though I know I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to everyone else who is too afraid, she or doesn't have enough information, a factual um, kind of assessment of where we are today. I'm telling you where we are today, and because the U.S. is being in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interesting things, so after U.N. speech, um, I don't know if it was the day after, it was one days after, it was when uh, the air yeah. Well, when was this? It was Monday. Okay, started on 29th, or the, the I think it was third. Okay, but I think on the didn't he meet with Obama? Right. He he did meet with Obama. And we did. never heard anything about what was said no. there either, which was I mean, usually they're they're at least some kind of prepared meal statement, you know, pro- progress and discussions were held and blah blah blah. Well, it wasn't I, a word. Well, that I think, was uh, interesting because Obama didn't even show up at that press conference afterwards. Really? That's what I mean, only Putin did. <laughs> I think uh, Putin said their business, or their their meeting was very businesslike. Ah. Uh-huh. You know, something along those lines. But he still didn't tell him. He kind oh, of, I'm sure. He I'm sure have, he didn't. I'm sure. He waited I'm for. Part of him was just chortling inside, going, "Yeah, <laughs> wait for tomorrow morning." Just you wait. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Uh, for a year and a half, two years since uh, Putin effectively blocked the U.S. bombing of Assad um, during that whole. Uh, accusation of Assad bombing his people or gassing his people. Uh, you had all this kind of speculation. You know, is is Putin ready to give Assad the the slip? Is he gonna? Is he still his ally? Um, you know, why 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 hasn't he done anything? And um, and the important answer to that question, uh, in part, I think, is that Putin was biding his time. Mm-hmm. This wasn't anything that he could do. Uh, half-measured, mm-hmm. rashly. He really had to think it through with his military, with with the uh, intelligence uh, alliance he was going to make in Iraq, in Iran, in China. All that was set up ahead of time. Yes, he had all his ducks in a row. And there was something incredibly symbolic because he started out his speech at the UN recalling the history, recalling the founding principle of international law, Protect all countries in their sovereignty. Out the premise for his action. This was all legal. I mean, we knew it was coming. Well, if you were paying attention, you might have. But that it, he set out the framework, which would encompass the action, the the steps he took. And he's emphasized that over and over and over. I mean, he's not a lawyer for nothing. His degree is in law. 
So, you know, we did everything right. We This is in accordance with international law. This is by invitation of the country. We had an agreement. We've always had an agreement with Syria to have the space. If they, you know, decide to let us enlarge it, then, you know, we are not contravening anything. But the symbology of it at this 70th anniversary, at this, this momentous gathering of the entire world, was just it was just brilliant. Yeah, I was always wondering about the timing of this. You know, why did he choose you know, September 30th to start all this? Because um, Bashar Assad, he's really not too keen on rerunning for elections, which will be coming up in May for Syria. And... You know, poor guy may have to. The West could have just waited until it was up. You know, you know, instead of trying to force him out, and and it was a slow going process. Um, so I'm kind of wondering if Putin also weighed, you know, what what brought his urge to to do this. Yeah, if just the, the the UN speech, he could use that as an international mean to talk about you know what he was doing and just the legality of it like you were saying Carolyn mm-hmm. um and you know it might it, the timing for just the crisis, uh, the refugee crisis you know the has just uh, all over the western media and people knew people know it's a problem so it it makes sense that you know people realize that the united states uh behavior and um you know, actions in Syria isn't working as they say. You know, as they say they're supposed to. Um, so, you know, it, it was you know pretty pretty perfect on his part. And um, yeah, his presidency. You know, he he does he he has this um, this way of doing you know all these strategic plans and then going in very quickly to resolve the crisis and. Uh, there's a uh, one example of that is the Second Chechen War. Um, you know, he when he um, became president, you know, or I think he was prime minister, prime minister at the time, you know, he was thrust into that, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, right from the beginning, mm-hmm. and within weeks, he launched a major offensive. Four days. And four and days done. It was it was remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you see, you see the type um, type of person that Putin is. You know, he's not like you're saying a lot earlier. He's not doing things willy nilly, and uh, he, I'm sure, you know, he's taking all the measures he can to not, um, you know, harm the civilians in the area, and and to do things uh, with, with uh, all the intelligence that they have. Uh, you know, that was another. Uh, interesting piece of news too that uh, Iraq, uh, you know, share intelligence that they had after you know supposedly you know working. You know, they got all off about that. There, there was there was a really critical. There's been so many I can't remember. But one where the general from the Pentagon was saying, uh, apparently they're not sharing intelligence with with uh, Iran. No. Well, Iraq is part of the intelligence center anyway, mm-hmm. but they can't share intelligence anymore, so now they're busy trying to find out what's going on. Yeah. They're in the back seat. <laughs> well, sure. William, you, you brought up, you know, the, the timing of it, and um, I think in, a, in addition to the reasons that uh, Shane just mentioned with the 
kind of fever pitch that was being uh, reached in, in awareness of the refugees. Um, there also may have been strategic reasons why Putin felt compelled to act now thoroughly, uh, even though this might have been in the works for a long time. Uh, you know, if, if you so the, there have been many maps showing the many inroads that ISIS and all of these organizations have made into Syria. And um, it, it hasn't, for the most part, in the past year, been going too well uh, for the government of Assad. And I, I think it was determined that um, that Turkey was going to establish a no-fly zone and that once that happened, it would be extremely difficult to, um, to go forward uh, in, in protecting the Assad government. So really, it was it was also I mean, on top of all of these other reasons, uh, it was also a you know this is really it. If we don't do anything now, uh, we can just kiss Syria goodbye. It's going to become another Libya or worse. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that, that that's some of what goes behind this you know this act of uh, proactiveness there. Well, one of the other, um, one of the other acts that you know I thought was uh, pretty interesting. Putin decided that he was going to go after the United terrorists first. <laughs> you know, uh, there might have been some you know, military reasons for that. Well, um, the, the first lot were fairly close to the base. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. was simply protecting their. Yeah, they were the closest mm-hmm. yeah. targets. So protecting your assets. And and that they were attacking the Syrian army. So you know they need to stabilize. So you know those things all you know make a lot of sense. But there's also the additional thing where, by by attacking the United States forces, it it forces the United States to really expose themselves and saying, hey, you're attacking our terrorists, guys. That's not fair. That's right. So it kind of brings that to light. Yeah, I think today there was just an article. They, they took out a major, and it was right in the headline, a, a major CIA-sponsored base. Like, they'd equip them, they trained them, and it was like, that's a lot of money down, down the train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, there's this kind of... Um, false opposition that that uh, guys like John McCain would like to create in the minds of people you know you have the you know you have ISIS and then you have the good rebels uh you know uh all five of them yes <laughs> well you know that he's trying to legitimize this the, the aggression towards uh Assad mm-hmm. and uh, um what's interesting that Russia is really the country uh, that has invited both to the table in Russia several months ago with some of the opposition. And um, and Assad has even come out and said, you know, we can discuss power sharing. I mean, he's come out and said this. Um, but, uh, of course, there aren't enough people who are serious about making Syria a better place, which is complete nonsense, um, you know, from the point of view of anyone who would seek to destroy rather than to create or make make things better along normal channels. Um, so, yeah, so we have a big false dichotomy being set up in the minds of people. And with that, I think we have another caller. Yes, we should have uh, Kent on the line. Kent, are you there? Hello, Kent. 
Now I'm not sure if uh, our connection is going through. Shane, a little earlier you mentioned that um, that the uh, you know the terrorist component in uh, Chechnya uh, was dealt with rather swiftly by Putin in his early years in his office. Um, and uh, this is, you know, Chechnya is, is primarily an Islamic nation that's uh, very grateful to Putin for having kind of helped expel uh, this radical ideology. Uh, and Kadarov, the Czech that he would be quelling to bring in some Chechen units into the fray in Syria and battle against ISIS. Yeah, he said, speaking speaking as a Muslim, that that uh, these people are not Muslim. They are not true Islamists, and, and it is a holy duty to go and fight them. I mean, you practically beg, please, can we raise an army and head off there? We want to help. Because this is besmirching the, the true spirit of, of Islam. Okay, I think we have uh, Kent back on the line. Let's see. Kent? Hello? Yeah, we must be having a bad connection with, uh, with Kent. Sorry. Not coming through. Well, so... West speeches of this past week. Um, so Obama makes his speech. Uh, Putin makes his, and uh, and a light bulb seems to go off in the heads of many journalists and many people listening to the guy. Um, and really, as we were saying before, kind of forces the hand of the U.S., who is now being told for one that uh, that. It's not really going to, you know, Russia's not going to stand for its belligerence anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they, the U.S. already knows that the Russia's planning something in Syria, but doesn't quite know what, uh, ruining years of trying to destabilize Assad. Um, and so uh, they're really caught with their pants down. I mean, they, they've never come across a guy like this uh, ever mm-hmm. um, in recent memory. Well, this is this is the thing that I think is just amazing because you know I don't know if there's been a time you know and it's been like you know when is the last time that Western propaganda hasn't been the driving force behind you know the major events uh, unfolding on the world stage and you know this is this is really I mean, like we were saying at the beginning of the show um, we saw glimpses of that in 2013. When um, Putin, you know, really got uh, Syria out of hot water by um, just utilizing the Western propaganda against itself, and but this, I mean, this is just—it's so major, and it's—it's it's unlike anything you know we've seen in you know decades and decades, or you know, I don't even know when when the last time well, something like this. He could did happen. have some practice runs. I mean, mm-hmm. two thousand eight with Ossetia, and then then again with Crimea. So you can see how lightning fast he can strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Crimea again shows the careful preparation. I mean, 
it was had to be at least a month before the referendum. I mean, they were talking of referendum. They set a date for the referendum, and all of a sudden, how did they put it? The polite men in green started to show up, and they didn't do anything, and they were very nice, but they just were there to quietly make sure that nobody interfered with Crimea. And then, and the ability to think on his feet by getting Yanukovych out of the country. I mean, the guy was dead meat if, you know, Putin hadn't helped him out. I mean, so he's capable of both. He can do long-range planning and he can handle a crisis that just pops up. So it's, it's, uh, it's there. And I think the important thing to realize about Crimea was that he wasn't uh, enforcing a uh, a connection back to the Russian Federation on the part of Crimea. No. He was merely facilitating their own decision, their own sovereign choice to have nothing to do with the government of Kiev, the yeah. peace of the U.S. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that, you know, that is a thing to heads around if they don't know as they occurred. Uh, Putin was just making sure that these people can choose for themselves unmolested. Mm-hmm. And uh, had he not done that, forget it. Crimea, you know, you'd have Azov Battalion in there right now. Uh, no, it would have been yeah. a very bad situation. And the U.S. Balls. ships pulling up to the docks in mm-hmm. Sebastopol. Yeah. That's where it happened. didn't happen. But... Uh, Getting back to uh, lightning moves, though, the the start of it was hilarious from a certain point of view, which was in Baghdad, I believe, uh, a Russian general marched across the street from one embassy to the U.S. embassy and said, we're in the air in 60 minutes, get your planes out and stay out of our way. <laughs> And this was last Wednesday, just before the very first. Just before the the Duma approved the approach, I think they probably had their jets all warmed up, and as soon as they got the yes vote, off they went. It's great, just perfect. Yeah, it was. It was, it was it, and and then you see the scrambling. Just to see the scrambling, it's worth it. The 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 White House and the statesmen, you know, they're coming out like our, you know, just they. What's going on? How to re- what to do? So yeah. it's it's entertaining, though. Uh, but you know, I I do think some Russia is is warranted as oh, well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we don't know, uh, you know, how the United States is actually going to respond in weeks. A delicate. Uh, so it could potentially nasty. Um, you know, on one hand, it could be, um, you know, really devastating. And the United States might be uh, exposing themselves further. You know, they might be doing something so drastic that you know they're not thinking straight. Uh, they're, you know, their their minds are, you know, going every which way, and you know they just want to basically punish Russia mm-hmm. in some way. And you know who, who they're going to take it out on. That's right. So there, there were two con- conflicting articles again coming up today. I mean, we've been just dated with news. Uh, one of them said that the Pentagon, quote, considering all options in response to Russia's actions, 
And then the very next one was from uh, in Germany saying that the U.S. will um, not confront Russian Russian militarily. So it's in such flux right now. You'll just have to hope that psychopaths, you know, that some will prevail. It could get very bad, very fast. Well, Shane, you just mentioned that, um, you know, it is very position because we don't know how the U.S. under the dog ultimately uh, and, or behaves like one case. Uh, it could lash out. It could uh, engineer something to you know similar to uh, MH17 or or uh, something of the like. Uh, there's been um, you know we recently this week had the uh, the shooting in uh, Oregon, a killing of 10 people. Uh, this was at uh, Umpqua Community College in Roseburg, Oregon, on Thursday, and coming in the of this new offensive in Syria, of course. And um, Melissa Dykes of uh, Truthstream Media, um, you know, her her feeling about it is that this was an this was another kind of um, manufactured synthetic. Uh, mass shooting in the U.S. Uh, that is designed to distract people from the larger uh, situation. Well, it kicked out the uh, the whole gun control issue again, and that is that is a issue that is far closer to the U.S. than what the U.S. is doing around the world. So it could it pushed it off the pages of so many local, you know, regional areas. It, it really does have. Uh, kind of a mul- multiple purposes that it serves at the same time. It's mm-hmm. a distraction. It, uh, you know, Obama came out and very angrily said that you know we're gun legislation, um, and uh, you know the the kind of design and effect of distracting people from this incredible new development in Syria. Mm-hmm. I have a Donald Trump. He came out and he said, "Well, what are you going to do?" That was that was his his statement for the the shooting. And Russians be Russians, but that's, that's that's essentially what it does. Is it serves as a distraction. You know, brings people back into this uh, absurd. Uh, I guess that is the presidential debate and. You know, it's it's it is it is just another form of taking people's attention away from what's actually going on in the world. Mm-hmm. But speaking of um, just unhinged nutters in power, uh, if we get back to the UN, um, people may have seen Netanyahu's speech uh, before the UN. Mm-hmm. And Kudos to though with the iron class stomachs who managed to sit through the whole thing. Most of us couldn't. No. I, could only, I only caught the, the essential part, but we'll play that in case it uh, hasn't heard. Seventy years after the murder of six million Jews, Iran's rulers promised to destroy my country, murder my people, and the response from this body, 
the response from nearly every one of the governments represented here has been absolutely nothing. Utter silence. Deafening silence. that they have that 
there is a land for this, these people. Like, you know, that's just, you know, it's not part of the, their narrative. And to see, you know, any type of acknowledgement, you know, just sends them over the edge. Well, even at the UN, too, I think Abbas took, took the opportunity to at least try to score some. And he's withdrawn from the peace treaties, declared Palestine occupied, occupied territory again, which brings into force a whole bunch of UN rules that govern the way an occupied territory is handled and basically put it all on Israel. I mean, whether or not it makes a difference, he's made it official. With an occupied territory, UN rules apply um, is to not keep them, but at least that's on the record. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, Netanyahu didn't like that either. Oh, poor baby. Yeah. He was outraged. As usual. <laughs> I mean, his, his behavior, like, just seeing him try to stare down people, like... It's so comical. Those beetle brows. And, like, it's, it's just, it's yeah, it's just comical. I don't know what else to say about it. And in a sideline, I, I, I only saw it as one line in another uh, article about Russia in Syria, but apparently Israel has been quietly warned that they are not supposed to, they are not to fly any more sorties over, over Syria. This is just not a good idea. Word to the wise. No, you got all those S-300 uh, missile systems there. Oh, God, yeah, we'll know exactly where you are. And now Russia's got a warship parked out there and mm-hmm. got crew full of cruise missiles. So. Well, what they do is besides their uh, uh, low-level bombing types is they have also brought in, um, I can't remember all the different names, but it's a pretty jet. Check out the pictures. SU. Their could fly at a higher altitude and provide cover. While ISIS, uh, ISIL, Al Nusra, all those folks, they don't have uh, the uh, anti-aircraft guns. Uh, the the, uh, the Russians have brought in these uh, jets to to uh, provide cover for them. Shows are warning anybody who might have the equipment to take out the Su-25s and stuff. That's probably not a good idea. Well, Russia wasn't quite sure if they even had any aircraft. So those were to draw them out, and they found out there weren't any any turn fire at all. And what does McCain say? Let's get up. This is an idea. We did it in Afghanistan. We can do it again. (laughs) Yeah, seeing these guys scramble, it's totally worth it. (laughs) Well, Netanyahu uh, went to visit with Putin just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yes, he did. You know, he was complaining. You know about uh, Russia's uh, entry into uh, the Syrian conflict in a more direct way, and uh, Putin, you know, according to the reports, had to talk him down and say, you know, this isn't uh, this isn't against you; it's for Syria, uh, which, in the mind of Netanyahu's government, is against it. Um, but uh, I'm sure that in the calculus of, of planning for all of this. Um, there is uh, going to be a response of some kind, probably, to any kind of weird stuff that might come out of that quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just another piece, another kind of mad dog situation that uh, that I think we might anticipate. Now, there might be a bit of leash on him. Um, uh, there was some talks they're just so even-handed, the Russians. It's great. I mean, they set it up so nobody can complain that there are agreements to develop Israel's gas fields, 
but also Palestine's gas fields. Mm-hmm. So he's caught in this double bind. Okay, you know, I'm so pissed and I want to get, you know, Syria and it's going to be a problem for us and blah, 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 blah. But if he gets too tight on his leash, Gazprom can yank their deal. Sorry. And, and like one of the other things that's so brilliant about Putin's Russia is like, it's like, let's not fight. Let's do business. Yeah. You know, money here. Let's make some money here. You got something. I got something. Let's. You know, why, why? And he does this with Saudi Arabia as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is the same Saudi Arabia that uh, that basically blackmailed him uh, into withdrawing his support of Assad before the Sochi Olympics, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where... Um, they tried to blackmail him. Well, tried to, exactly. That That's the crucial part. But, yeah. but you know, he didn't go for it. No. And, uh, and yet he's, you know, he still keeps coming back. Um, they will talk to everyone. And, yeah, they, they keep will talk to, to and they anyone. Do, that's, that's his mode. Like just like you know, with um, it's true out or you know people who you know he he says even with him it's over and over and over. You know we would like to engage with the United States. We would like a dialogue. We try for love. We can you know, help each over other and over again. And and you know it's the same thing with Turkey. You know they 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 have this. Uh, relationship with Turkey, and I mean, it's like dealing with a uh, uh, this uh, schizophrenic um, multi-personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, good description. You know, they, they, he, Erdogan goes just from from uh, position to position, and you know, essentially, you know, always just looking out. Erdogan's looking out for himself, basically. You know, screw Turkey. And you know, he's got elections coming up, and he's he's in a bad position right now. Well, it would be nice to see him out, but, you know, with uh, the support that he has from NATO, you know, I don't know that, that that will happen. Well, he'll go wherever he thinks he can be, whatever's going to save his skin, yeah. basically, because he, he wants to stay in power. He has this, this image of being, you know, instead of ISIL being the caliphate, he wants to be the caliphate in Turkey, right in that hole. He really is. I mean, like he, he – so Turkey, just to get back to the, the history um, – I mean, he, he's not the caliphate. That's not essentially what I was saying. But you know, they have Turkey's been such. Uh, they played such an essential role in supporting um, you know, the the terrorist organizations in Syria. Um, they were likely the suppliers of the sarin gas to uh, Al Nusra, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's just it comes up time time and time and time again, where you know. Turkey, and then there are uh, others in the region, of course, too. But you know, Turkey is just—it's—it's it's so um, two-faced. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of that's the word. Well, you know, as we were talking about this, I was wondering what is it about the the Putin or the Russian soul, if you will, or its substance, or you know, is it the is it all the the pain that has gone through in the past few decades? Is it a, a wisdom that it's kind of grown all this time because you know again and again it would rather not it's it seems very clear to me anyway it would rather not get into any kind of conflict it would much rather uh you know build bridges build associations um you know even with the entities that are psychopathic that you know they're bending over backwards and um, there, there is that whole kind of impetus that is that is just largely, com- completely, actually lost on the West. 
that uh, far from being a strong man, uh, here's a guy who just basically, you know, wants to do well by his country and and make money for his country and in the process make some friends. Um, and and that's really what it kind of boils down to. Uh, and and that whole understanding uh, has not been conveyed or communicated to people. So all they see is this guy who is able to use his military well mm-hmm. or, um, you know, go on the attack. And that's the only piece that they get about this whole story. Well, I think that in the West there's there's this whole mentality, whether it's even even acknowledged or or, or uh, there, if there's awareness of that, that there must be a hierarchy. There must be a top dog. Mm-hmm. And Putin is saying there doesn't need to be a top dog. We can all be friends. We can trade. I'm bigger than you. Okay, that means I got more stuff you can buy, mm-hmm. and we'll buy a lot of stuff from you. And and there doesn't need to be someone in charge. And and that I don't know. Maybe it's just decades and decades of programming in the mm-hmm. states that that. Or in the West, that there has to be someone who leads it all and everybody else follows and they have to do what the person says. And they can't conceive of this idea of a community, mm-hmm. each providing something to the whole and, and helping each other out. And it just doesn't – that's why it doesn't register because there's no model in their head for it. Right. Yeah, the whole idea of uh, leadership, in, uh, particularly in the United States, is based on this authoritarian model you know, where there is this hierarchy and there is this, the only thing that we know is what this strong man is. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's our own strong man, like that's how we define leadership. Mm-hmm. And Putin isn't operating under uh, that same dynamic. He is uh, operating under a more human definition of leadership, uh, which which is working with other people instead of, just telling other people what to do and how to do it and utilizing force to, in order to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. You know, this reminds me a lot of game theory, uh, which is this kind of psychopathic philosophy of, of us versus them. And what you would do to uh, have something or achieve something. And it usually means finding some way to undercut or subvert or defeat the other guy. And the opposite of that, um, is a kind of more um, egalitarian win-win situation that doesn't play any part in the in the thinking of the U.S. government mm-hmm. and its military and its think tanks and its corporations. It's always about undercutting mm-hmm. some some other group, and um, you know it, it's they don't even realize that that's what they're doing. It's just so uh, ubiquitous. It's so much a part of their uh, their nature, their nature, their mm-hmm. their modus operandi, that um, they don't know any other way, and don't recognize any other way. Right. Because they'll they'll keep no matter what the actions of these other more cooperative countries are, it'll be filtered through this lens of you know there's got to be a competition there, and who's going to win, and who's going to you know who's going to come out on top of this interaction that they can't see any other way as adversarial mm-hmm. you know it's just sick actually well, and the unfortunate thing is that it does um 
trickle down into the ideologies of the masses of the people mm-hmm. and um you know we take on you know how our our leaders behave it's the it's the polarization that Lobachevsky talks about when we have psychopaths who are in charge and are in positions of you know uh, that that could do good but you know it, it's look at the world and see the results uh, of you know um, the United States being, you know, the top dog. And, you know, now that, that Russia is really um, coming out and establishing, you know, it's uh, just a, a real human role, you know, that does that. It's just, it, it provides such a big opportunity for, for people to kind of wake up and see that for what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing I found really, really interesting, and this is pure speculation, but Putin's actions in Syria, in other places, you know, especially this last one, which is is pretty much an in-your-face thing. There's no malice in it, if you will. It's just, and I don't want to use the word it's just business, but it is. It's just like this situation is unacceptable and it needs remedying. And it's not against the states, but it is simply that this is an unacceptable situation. Uh, This is what's required to remedy it. And, you know, if you're unhappy about it, oh, sorry, but, you know, this is, it just can't go on. But there's no um, anger, there's no emotion. I don't want to say there's no negative emotion. I'm sure he gets furious about it. I mean, there's this one conference where he's addressing a bunch of uh, U.S. journalists, and you could see him getting really agitated, going, you know, you did this here, and you did this there, and you did this in Libya. You said a no-fly zone, and then look what you did, and, and your ambassador got killed. Is this good? Mm-hmm. What is wrong with you? Yeah. Is this good? Can't you? you Where know? is the common sense? Where is you the, have no, you have no common, common sense. sense. That was, <laughs> yes, exactly. But I think for the most part, he does have the ability to act dispassionately, you know, and with a sense, dispassionately and, and, and compassionately at the same time that he is acting for a good, mm-hmm. not against, I don't want to say not against an evil, but it's not per, it's not per, per, personalized. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's not acting out of spite. Yeah. And yeah, he's not Revenge, being, being, malice. Yeah, he's not being driven by those things, yeah. which, you know, are kept for, you know, our, our leaders in oh the West. Oh, God, no. It, it just seems to me it's almost parental. You know, there there is a, a, yes. a an authoritative um, kind of uh, um, and righteous um, that's in in the things who's in, uh, act upon mm-hmm. and um, dealing with children. I said, yeah, <laughs> Gerald Salente said so. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean it's an accurate observation. And uh, you know, does a does a parent necessarily enjoy? Um, disciplining or, or responding to or trying to correct the problems of its of its troubled child? No. Uh, but if it's a responsible parent, if it's a parent that doesn't want to, you know, have this problem child create problems for its other children and its friends and neighbors and other relatives, then it's got to kind of take it upon itself to, to respond appropriately. I don't, I don't think he feels parental. I think it's more like the wayward brother. You know, you're... you're psychotic uncle that needs treatment. You well, know? when he talks to people, you know, he's not talking down to people. Right. And, you know, he's explaining the facts and, you know, he's explaining, well, you know, you already know this. 
and this is what happened, and you know, these are the facts. Yeah. And um, you know, the United States can also act like a, a, a tyrant parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just look a at Europe, different dynamic. <laughs> yeah, he he's trying to share a dream for what he wants the world to look like, and and he gets he gets it, you know, cooperation with the BRICS and China, but talking to the West is is so difficult for them to to understand this new concept. So what? This doesn't make sense. I've never seen this before. And not only that, by the time it gets to the West, it's been twisted by the media. Mm-hmm. They've twi- they've totally just tweak the message so it comes across as threatening, so it comes across as demeaning. I mean, we're, we're number one. Well, how often? you, you got to kick these reporters in the butt. You know, they're not doing their job. Period. No, not at all. And how often do you see, you know, full uh, Putin speeches in the American media? Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't go there. And if they do go there, they provide a horrible translator like the UN, like that, that that really got my nerves. Just because the tran- the the initial translator uh, that, that was provided for him, you know, the, there was a lot of, um, you know, I, there wasn't any reason for it, and apparently there was even, you know, twisting. You know, there was the essential meaning was also changed in some of the things that he said. Um, so, you know, even what he is communicating isn't necessarily always being brought to the attention of um, Americans. Um, but you know there is there is options out there. There are options out there, and you know if um, if there is a point when American Americans get fed up, you know they can uh, use Google and you know find find some uh, some other material, uh, which may or may not happen. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. But one of the one of the other. Uh, just narratives and um, or lies that came out after uh, Putin initiated the airstrikes in Syria was that he killed uh, 30 civilians, and um, you know there was no um, evidence for this. He killed 30 civilians before the jets even took off. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the white helmet said so. And the, the things that, that came up, that these things were popping up uh, even before the um, the airplanes and stuff took off. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's that's how bogus this information is. Uh, to, just to add to that, um, there's a story today that um, the, um, the United States, uh, with uh, their you know, some of their renewed airstrikes in Afghanistan, they hit a hospital and killed you know at least uh fifty uh civilians including doctors and patients and you know this is just it's just complete uh and utter hypocrisy um because you don't you won't see this in american media you know there, there's there's there won't there won't be this won't be covered uh on c n n well you are seeing today yes it is being shown but you know what that feels like to me, Shane? That, that feels a little bit to me like narcissistic rage. That uh, you know, the U.S. has been left a little bit impotent in the face of uh, you know Russia calling their their hand in in Syria, and so there's this, a certain amount of uh, there's, there's like this certain quota of of evil aggression mm-hmm. that that the U.S. just has to can put out. Otherwise, you know. They themselves up, you know, they they kill themselves. 
and and it, it's coming out. You know, we're talking about energetic terms here. Um, you know, what we're witnessing right now in the U.S. is an implosion and an explosion at the same time. It's kind of sucking in everything around it. Uh, it, it it's a kind of a, you know, I, I, I'm reticent to use the term, but it's kind of like a, almost a metaphysical black hole. And, uh, you know, it has this, this hunger uh, that, that, that needs to be satiated in the form of uh, subjugation and destruction. And um, when it doesn't do that, you know, getting back to the, the white helmet um, bit of disinfo that, uh, that's been identified that you mentioned, Carolyn, mm-hmm. uh, this is a, a George Soros-funded uh, um, NGO yep. that, you know, the express purpose of which, its reason for, for living, is to help facilitate in soft power terms humans to to Western pliant puppet governments. Um, so we're, you know, we're just going to continue to see an incredible, I mean, this has just opened up the floodgates, folks. It, you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, and, and the news is going to come hard and fast, and it's only going to get bigger and more intense. I mean, we, from here on in, we, we might get a few breathers here and there, but um, what, what Russia has done this week is to, Really, just redefine the the, the, uh, the chessboard and redefine the narrative, and and get the world thinking about uh, what's exactly what's been happening for the past fourteen, even thirty or forty years here. Now they're they're prepared. Um, there's a Sputnik article that actually came out on the first. Uh, you know, they had either this or some similar scenario. In Ma, um, so Sputnik says, on Wednesday, Russian combat jets launched pinpointed strikes against IS targets in Syria. Almost immediately, Western media outlets carried reports of civilian casualties. No sooner had uh, Foreign Minister um, Sergei Lavrov uttered his first words at the Security Council than numerous reports emerged in Western regional, including Ukrainian media, that the military operation carried out by Russia had killed civilians almost as if this operation was aimed at democratic forces and the civilian population. Uh, this was uh, Foreign Ministry spokesman uh, Maria Zakharova telling, uh, talking to News Live Television. I want to tell you that all this is the very informational attack, attack, the information war we have heard so much about and for which someone apparently prepared very well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've, they've got their uh, their outlets all lined up, ready to go, not just the white helmets, but you know, I'm sure that the Twitterverse is going insane at this point. It is an information war. Uh, you know, there is and has been for quite a while now a effort on the on the part of both the West and Russia to um, put out its version of the story. Um, we know from the types of articles that that we're uh, putting up on SOT and writing that. Um, that the, the narrative of, uh, of Western power and hegemony is, is being uh, threatened. And, uh, um, and that can only be a good thing because it's getting a glimpse of what the truth is. And it's far, far worse than, than we've been led to believe. And I think, uh, you know, during this, this time when things are just intensifying so much, 
that you know it is all um people who who see what's going on you know if we all we we can be a part of this in terms of sharing and um you know just whether it's social media um you know facebook getting this stuff out there you know it's so important and you know it might not be on uh the same level as what Putin's doing, but you know it is adding to that energy, and that's uh, you know it's it's just really important for you know these times. I think mm-hmm. the truth has its own substance, and it can be enlarged the more it's shared. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, there was um, we talked a little earlier about uh, some of the responses and reactions um, from the White House, from the Pentagon. One of my favorites was, uh, you know, I guess we're. Putin's jail bitch now, <laughs> and um, but it really gives you, you know, aside from their realization that that uh, Putin just made a, a, a just a brilliant strategic um, move, uh, it really gives you insight into their thinking. Um, you know that they would that they were now prisoners. Well, I think that was probably a satire uh, thing that came out from the Pentagon, but it is. I'm sure, the, I'm sure the, the sentiment was there, if not the words. Although, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if, if something very close to that has been said. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it could have very well been a satire. Um, but you know, given the responses, you know, Ash Ash Carr, uh fuse that we're getting, um, you know, you can just imagine them having their late night meetings. Considering how to respond to all of this, you know, between between the media, you know, media Putin's invitation to help out, um, and they're, you know, flat-footing that one and everything. I mean, their options have been severely limited in one fell stroke. They, they, you know, any uh, anything other than joining in to this noble cause of stamping out terrorism makes them look like the hypocrites they are. You know, it's just fantastic. So yes, they are prisoners. <laughs> Can we prisoners of their own hubris? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, um, you know, and, and that's that's what they so lack in, in self-realization. I mean, they've created this situation for them themselves. Someone has finally, a nation has finally, finally uh, risen to the occasion. Uh, with the resources and the energy and the intelligence um, and, the vision. and the vision to respond appropriately, uh, but also after so much destruction. I mean, millions of refugees displaced, millions of, of, of people killed uh, in Iraq, uh, in Libya, in Syria. I mean, it, it, it really it amounts to a holocaust. Mm-hmm. It's a modern-day Holocaust. Uh, very few people have actually um, labeled it appropriately, but but finally we're be- beginning to see uh, the first inklings of, of a realization that the West has committed a Holocaust. So, uh, you know, Russia effectively is the U.S. during World War II, and U.S. has effectively become Nazi Germany in World War II. I mean, that's you know, that's pretty much a, a kind of accurate assessment of, of what we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, it may to the uninitiated or, or to, to folks who have uh, 
uh, really looking at this situation, it may seem uh, kind of an exaggeration or um, it may feel a little bit uh, over the top of description, but uh, that's that's what we're seeing. Um, uh, if, if all of that sounds kind of strange to you, what I would say is try to put your preconceived ideas and notions that you think you know aside for just and and read and and you'll see very consistent uh, conglomeration of fact patterns and behaviors and fruits uh, that have come out of uh, behavior of of the U.S. in the past 15 years. And uh, I mean, we're we're looking at a, a monstrosity uh, that that the world sees every so often. I mean, this is it, it's almost unparalleled. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Uh, hold on a second. Well, the thing is that it's almost like you, if you turn off the sound, if you stop listening to the rhetoric, and you just look at what each country, the U.S. and Russia, does. What do they actually do? who is producing benefit, who is reducing conflict, who is, you know, giving, you know, aid and succor to those who are, who are hurt and damaged, who's doing the hurting and who's doing the helping, you know, just, just turn the sound off and look. Yeah, exactly. The, you know, it's, it's all more about looking at behavior rather than just the words, you know, we're, we've been trained um, ever since we were children We've been trained pretty much ever since we were children just to pay attention to, you know, just the words and how, you know, Russia is uh, engaging on the world scene is, is through behavior and is through the facts. And it is a different way of um, looking at and understanding reality. And it's something that, we're, you know, I think most people are not used to. We're used to going along with pretty much whatever is, is said. And there's no substance in that. You know, we have to look at behavior, and it's it's uh, it really is like two different realities. Well, you know, on, on that subject, you know, I, I think we just have to remind ourselves of exactly why uh, Barack Obama was installed as president of the United States. Uh, you know, the guy, you know, at least measured to average standards, is pretty articulate. Uh, he was an academic. Um, and he knows how to deliver a line, um, and 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 that's pretty much it. Uh, he puts a face on um, aggression that there are still a certain percentage of people who would just prefer to buy into than the fact that this you know liberal so-called progressive type you know it's beyond comprehension that that he would be worse than Bush, for instance, uh, in, in the types of laws and policies that he's been implementing. He's, he's, really, he's really conned a good many people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's his talent, and uh, that's why he's there. Um, and on that subject, um, we know that uh, Hollande just had a, a discussion uh, with Putin, um, and where they try to narrow down differences on the political transition of Syria, at, you know, presumably after all of this conflict is over. 
Uh, they met for about an hour and 15 minutes, and um, they were talking uh, about Syria, but also the situation, and that was ostensibly why they met. And, um, you know, the, France and Hollande basically put three conditions down to Russia in, in its participation, uh, conditions that um, France would agree to uh, help if, this, and that was that would attack ISIS and Al Qaeda, but no other targets. Uh, ensure the safety of civilians. Well, that's a no-brainer. Um, and put in place a political transition that will see the departure of uh, Bashar al-Assad. And of course, we know that that's not really on the table. Uh, keeping a legitimate. Um, president of Russia installed is, is as much a practical consideration as it is a, a, a point, uh, as it is a kind of, um, you know, a statement. Uh, you cannot decide uh, what leader is going to remain in, a, nice. in another country. Straight up, you know, that's for the Syrian people to decide. Right. Period. Well, Alon just delivered his message like a good little messenger boy. He was just beating his chest to show off to the West. <laughs> look at look at what a, a good puppet I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, folks, I think that's going to bring the show to a close. Um, we appreciate you listening in. We want to thank uh, our callers, Jonathan and Kent. Uh, we thank you for uh, for sticking in there during our uh, power outage and internet outage. Um, we invite you to hold on to your hats. It's going to be a bumpy ride from here on in, we think. Do you realize that this all happened between this show and the last show? Yes. That's well, quite a lot. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of dimensions to this whole story that, that you know, we didn't even include today. Well, yeah which is one reason to encourage you all to listen in tomorrow uh, to the Behind the Headlines show with Joe, Neal, and Harrison. And um, if you're feeling particularly unhealthy or stressed out, listen to the health and wellness show, even if you're not feeling that bad. <laughs> listen in, get some tips, boost your health, boost your immunity, boost your uh, your knowledge of, uh, of, of making yourself strong so that uh, you can... Think well and be well and, and feel well through the coming times. And um, we want to thank our chatters also uh, for chatting and uh, everybody for listening. And until we speak again, take care and be well. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Fasten your seatbelts, everyone. All right. <laughs>